This podcast contains mature language. Listener discretion is advised. Warning, this podcast is known by the state of California to contain spoilers. I'm going to have well, my son here looking to buy his first car. You come to see me? I had to. That'd probably make us family. Uncle Bobby B, baby. Uncle Bobby B? Sam. Sam, let me talk to you. Sam, your first enchilada of freedom awaits underneath one of those hoods. Let me tell you something, son. A driver don't pick the car. The car picked the driver. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Hello and welcome to SequelCast 2. SequelCast 2 is a podcast looking at films and a franchise, one movie at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley-Shergy, and with me is Thrasher. Hello, listeners, uh, and I do want to apologize if my voice sounds freaky or if I make any horrendous noises. Uh, I am just getting over a cold. Right, it's not because uh, Thrasher participates weekly in Freaky Fridays, which involve horrible things to his vocal cords. Well, because, you know, you get used to your vocal cords, and all of a sudden, you switch place with your mother or daughter. And then you got to learn how to use a whole different set of vocal cords. And then you get switched back, and then you got to reacclimatize yourself to your original vocal cords. I tell you, I need to stop touching ancient Aztec skulls at the exact same time as other people. And also try to stay away from the uh, the county fairs with the... Uh... Machines while you're at it. Oh, the Zoltars. Don't get me started the on the Zoltars. Yeah. We need regulations on those Zoltar machines. Right. I'm surprised they haven't like tried to remake Big, to be honest. But let's we're, this uh, week we're actually kicking off a uh, another series of movies to look at. We're going to look at the trilogy of uh, Transformers films starring Shia LaBeouf. And um, this is the first one. Live action one, I should say. Uh, came out in 2007, <laughs> directed by Michael Bay. One of the uh, producers was Steven Spielberg. Screenplay by Roberto Orchi and Alex Kurtzman. They worked on Lost. A story by John Rogers, Roberto Orchi, and Alex Kurtzman. Based on the Transformers toys by Hasbro. Starring Shia LaBeouf, Tyrese Gibson, Josh Duhamel, Megan Fox, John Turturro, and John Voight. Music by Steve Jablonski. Cinematography, Mitchell Admonson. This came out in the United States July 3rd, 2007. It has a... In my opinion, bloated running time of 143 minutes. Oh yeah, off a budget of 150 million, which uh, at the time was pretty expensive for this sort of a film. Now that's considered kind of inexpensive, which is weird in itself. Um, this made 709 million worldwide, which is uh, not the highest grossing in the series, but pretty good. But uh, I want to play a game with you, Thrasher. Okay. This came out in 2007. So, uh, when you look at domestic gross, meaning the United States, where do you think Transformers fell? Uh, spot number three. That's exactly right. Wow. Oh, wow. And uh, so, domestically, it made $319 million, which is quite good for the first film in a franchise, um, to say the least. Below it, at number four, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. 
That's the third one. Above it at number two, <laughs> Shrek the Third. Oh, that's a dreadful one. And oh, the first wow. one, Rift, you Shrek on the show sometime, Thrasher. I think we I think we just might. I've got feelings. Yeah, I so do I. Um and the number one movie of 2007, uh, domestically, for anyone who's wondering, is something we just covered not that long ago, Spider-Man 3. <laughs> in fact, critically, it was panned. It was financially very, very successful. So, Transformers. Uh, I think we each have a bit of history with Transformers that we should um, talk about. But first, a little bit of history... Transformers was a uh, started out as a toy line, but it was based on a Japanese toy line that then they um, Hasbro. Well, go on. Well, actually, it was it was based. What we know as Transformers was based on several Japanese toy lines that Hasbro ah, yeah, that's right. absorbed and released under one label. Right, and you know, changed the names, changed the the colors, and, and some of that stuff. But the, the concept of the, the toys transforming and so forth. And then uh, Marvel Comics, with uh, some of their regular group of writers like Denny O'Neill, wrote a comic book series based on the toys. And that was used as kind of the, the basis for the animated series that ran for four seasons in the 80s and had its animated movie of its own. But the, um, the cartoon was lighter in tone than the Marvel Comics. Yes, well, what it was is at the time, Marvel ran a tidy little side business where they would help, they would help companies, particularly toy companies, kind of come up, come up with like backstories for, to justify their brands. So the world like, building, yeah. Oh yeah, so like what we know as GI Joe, that was a product of Marvel Studios, uh, getting That's right. by Hasbro, and that was yep. worked out so well. They did the same thing with Transformers, although the rumor rumor has it that all this happened right before the winter holidays and that most of the Transformers lore was like shat out over on the last day before the whole Marvel office staff went on Christmas vacation. <laughs> uh, and it was, and it, and like that's the document they had when everyone got back to work in January. And so that's what stuck, which is uh, one of the reasons uh, it's, it's, it's said is one of the reasons why, the comic book and the animated series diverge very, very quickly and have such different tones because they each kind of the different staffs that were developing it for animation and for comic books latched on to different things that were very roughly sketched out in that document. Right. Um, it, it also should be noted, I mean, because this this movie is, is loosely, I would say very loosely based on the 80s uh, Generation 1 cartoon series. Which ran from 84 to 90... That's, that's not right. It ran from, like, 84 to 88, I think. Uh, I'll, I'll get into that shit Well, well the original series ran from 84 to 88, but then there was a repackaged, syndicated version of the show that that's ran, right. like, We're... almost immediately afterwards. And then that mm -hmm. went away, and then there was the whole Transformers Generation 2 re-release -re of the original series. It's it's this, this is a franchise that never actually left. It kept... It, it stayed around in one form or another, even if people weren't aware of it. Right. In the mid-90s, you had the CG animated show Beast Wars and Beast Machines, where it was Transformers, but the robots turned into these animal things instead of cars. And those and then were pretty good. Uh, I, I went back yeah. and tried to watch some old Transformers episodes. They did not hold up at all, but I really <laughs> want to go back into Beast Wars and Beast Machines, because I feel like they might hold up. They were 
working on that show at a at a higher level, I think, than the 80s animated Transformers series. Well, the one bit of trivia I want to say regards to the animated uh, series for Transformers, you know, a lot of the same writing staff was used between the Transformers and G.I. Joe cartoons. Yep. As you mentioned, you know, the Marvel connection, but it, it wasn't the same people that worked in the comics that worked on the show, typically. Um, it was different writing staffs. Uh, but also... Um, when, when these initial Transformers Generation 1 toys came out, you had a, a commercial on TV that had a brief bit of animation with the Transformers running around fighting each other. And that was so popular that that's what spawned the initial, uh, Transformers, uh, you know, pilot, which I think was, was a standalone three-part sort of origin story. Yeah, which I believe was released on VHS before the series entered uh, syndication. It, it's a whole Space that, yes. Jam situation before there that's, was a Space Jam. That's right. But then, uh, you know, um, Hasbro did the same thing with G.I. Joe, <coughs> where they had an animated commercial with G.I. Joe uh, running around, and, and then they later did a, a mini series. But um, we're not, you know, let's, but specifically, uh, let's jump into Transformers, talk about our history, then we'll talk about this uh, film from 2007. Um, so, uh, I was born in 82, and Thrasher, you were born in, um, was it the late 70s, is that right? Well, the, the gentleman doesn't say, but in, in, the, in 1980. Oh, okay, I thought you were old, older for some reason. Um, <laughs> oh, you flatter me, sir. <laughs> you look like a mere 23, so I, I, I will speak to you as if you were a child. Uh, no, um, I don't know what, I'm, I'm off today. Is, yeah, don't do any weird baby talk, that's gonna, that's gonna turn the wrong people on, uh. Right, that, that's, for, right uh, that's for a spinoff show, Babycast, too. Um, <laughs> Where we so, only review Boss Baby. And Baby Geniuses. Every, yeah, we watch Boss Baby every week. Sort of well, like that podcast on uh, Grown Ups 2. But we only watched we only watched uh, Baby Geniuses once. That is our pledge. I see, and then the summary from week to week gets less and less sensical. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, um, but yeah, so... When you were a kid, did you watch the Transformers cartoon? What was your, you know, sort of connection to that property? No, yes, I did. I, I was a, I was a huge fan. I watched the show. Uh, had, uh, had a number of the action figures. Uh, strangely enough, I never, I did not see the movie. Uh, I, I wanted to, but so a, a couple of uh, or several uh, '80s animated action figure based shows got movies around the same time. There was My the, Little Pony. Yeah, My Little Pony, GI Joe. Well, so apparently. I, I did some for I did some forensics, and I found out the reason, uh, as near as I can tell, the reason that when the Transformers movie came out in the '80s, I didn't see it was because earlier the My Little Pony movie had come out, and uh, for I think one of my cousin's birthdays, all the girls and the fa- all the parents got together with all the girls in the family, went to see it, <laughs> and the parents had such a miserable time in that movie. That just, we're not going to do this again. If it's not Disney, we're not going to go to an animated movie. Um, so I didn't see well, the animated it, it, movie until it was released sure. on on VHS on, in the nineties. It was and, quite late, yeah. And interestingly enough, in the nineties was when I got into the Transformers comics because there was this uh, secondhand bookstore that had a lot of real cheap, like twenty five cents each uh, back issues, and they had there a lot of go. Transformers comics, so they yeah, were really yeah. cheap to pick up. So I, you know, having fond memories of it, I, I picked them up and really enjoyed them. And I'm happy to say I've still got a lot of those comics. The Marvel comics hold up pretty well, unlike the hmm. animated series. 
Now, uh, how, how, what's Wars the artwork? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, what's the artwork like in the comics? Do they look? Does do the character designs look similar to the TV show, or more uh, detailed? Or m- most of them? Uh, uh, yeah, they look right out of the TV show. And even when it's a Transformer that appeared in the action figure line that didn't appear animated, they do a pretty good job making it look like uh, look like it exists in the world of the animated series. That being said, beyond the the Transformer designs themselves. Usually the artwork is pretty standard 1980s uh, Marvel comic book type stuff. But the comic books did have some real cool uh, things in them. There's the, in fact, the first one I read was the, the, the Scraplets story where it was all about a disease that affects Transformers, that they're these things called Scraplets, which are Transformers, but they're small and they look like spare parts. They look like bolts, screws, nuts, uh. wing nuts, things like that. And what they do is they attach themselves to Transformers, but then eat the, then consume the Transformers from the inside out and reproduce. So as, so the Transformer gets more and more corroded and more parts fall off of them and those parts turn into little robots and run to infect others. It was a really cool, freaky story. Yeah, it looks like it sounds almost like Cronenbergian body horror, although yeah. it's not bodies, it's robots. But yeah, um, right. So for me, um, I think I've mentioned this on the show here and there. I, I when I was a child, I lived uh, in Central and South America, and I I knew of Transformers because I had some of the toys, and I, I'm sure um, some of it might have been, especially when I was quite little, living in Guatemala. We had cable so we had american television but really um most of what i knew from transformers was quite little because i lived overseas and we typically didn't get american television we had uh two transformers videotapes i i I shudder to think what those probably cost my parents um (laughs) and they had two episodes apiece as stuff did at the time it was pretty rare except for star trek to have television on videotape right at the time yeah, um, even then those Star Trek tapes were were pricey. Yeah, one one show an episode for probably like fifty bucks. Um, anyhow, so the the two Transformers tapes I had were from the company FHE, Family yeah, Home Entertainment. They were a staple of the eighties. They were. They had the the logo was the, the little crayon um, drawing. It was where they have that that repetitive synth score. Uh, Family yes. Home Entertainment, I think they were called. Yes, that's right. And um, so. The, the one episode was the pilot, but it was episodes two and three, not the first episode. <laughs> Which, and uh, the first episode of the pilot is about them on Cybertron, and it ends when they land on Earth. So, missing that part, you're somewhat confused, like, what, why are these robots on Earth? Oh, I guess they're in a crashed spaceship, the good guys are. Okay. And that's a shame, because, like, the Cybertron stuff is actually pretty cool. And yeah, I like they look quite all... different, too, because they're not cars, right? They're spaceships or whatever the hell yeah, the vehicles yeah, are on Cybertron. They're all, they're all spaceships and high-tech vehicles and, like, uh-huh. weird pieces of super alien equipment. Right. It's, uh, yeah, so, um, and then the other tape I had was the, one of the, I think the two-parter episode that introduced the Dinobots. Huh. Where the Dinobots are in a cave, and then um, they're, they're pretty stupid, especially Grimlock, which I, I kind of enjoyed. And I had the toy for Grimlock, and uh, oh, even though I never saw the Transformers animated movie as a kid, I had the toy for Galvatron. 
Oh, yeah. So I'm like, his last name ends in Tron, but he's not Megatron. Who's this purple dude with the, <laughs> uh, you know, missile coming out of his head or whatever it was? And so, yeah, I, I did. Um, I also recall uh, when I was a child, a friend of mine had a, might have been an Amiga or something, and he had Transformer. He had a bootleg of a Transformers game on there. Wow. That was quite terrible. Um, maybe it wasn't Amiga, but it was probably just like a DOS PC or something. But really terrible side-scrolling game, and I did find it years later, and it's um, nearly unplayable. It's one of those where you die like in two seconds if you don't know what you're doing. I guess it's like the <laughs> Dark Souls of its day. Oh, that's a shame. But not intentional, yeah. I, I suppose. That's more how games were designed back then, I think, because um, you had arcades where stuff was difficult, you know, where stuff was difficult, and uh, that... You know, you're trying to be quarter munchers, and that uh, design mentality often carried to the home games. Well, well, some stuff was difficult, and some stuff was Dragon's Lair. I like Dragon's Lair, but this is a separate conversation. Oh, I do too. Um, I... Yeah, uh, I've actually got the pleasure to see Don Bluth at a convention once. Uh, went to one of his panels. He's a great guy. Yes. Um, you know what else is great? Transformers 2007. Actually, it's not really, but we're, <laughs> we're going to talk about it. So... Um, what, did you see this? When did you first see the, the film? Then we've given our background with the TV show, and uh, we have history with it and enjoy it to some degree. And uh, so, when did you see this 2007 film for the first time? Was it on television or I, in the theater? I didn't see it until like '08 or '09. Okay, uh, my my wife then girlfriend had it on DVD, and we watched it together. And does it, um, how does Sarah feel about Transformers? She. As I, as I recall, she, like, oh, like, in general, or just the movie? The, the movie. The, the I recall, she, she, she liked the first one, but it, it is diminishing returns. And, and in <laughs> fact, uh, not to go on a tangent, but we watched the last uh, Transformers, The Last Night, as a bad movie recommendation from one of our friends, and we were ah, both that's the sadly underwhelmed. <laughs> I I want to see it just for the Anthony Hopkins stuff, because I've heard his, he has some <laughs> ridiculous lines of dialogue. He he's the best thing in that movie. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, I'm looking at the poster. It has the tagline "Their War, Our, Our World." That's hard for me to pronounce. Um, yeah, so this uh, live action film. I had just moved to Portland in 2006, so I'd been there living there about a year by the time this movie came out. And uh, a, a new friend I had made, Mike. Uh, hey, Mike, if you're listening. Um, we were both, uh, he was huge Transformers fans, had a lot of the toy collections and, and everything. And, uh, we didn't see it together for some reason, but we certainly talked about, we're excited for the hype building up to this movie. So I saw this by myself opening weekend, cause I, I see movies by myself a lot, I guess. And, uh, that's a fun bit of trivia. <laughs> this is one of those episodes. Um, and it was, I, I, I felt Okay, I, I felt kind of mixed on it, uh, but my second time I, I went to see it, I uh, was uh, going on a date with a girl, and it was just the big summer movie, and she hadn't seen it, so we went to see it, and um, man, that, that that did not go well for a number of, of reasons. I uh, but um, So, so that, that date did not transform into a physical sexual encounter? Oh no, 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 no. Far from it. In fact, I tried to... Uh, the... Uh, Stupid move of yawning, and then you put your arm around her shoulder. Uh, you know, like like I'm someone from, like, Revenge of the Nerds or something. Well, I'm imagining and, you in an Archie comic book now. <laughs> right, yeah, that's true. What you doing, Archie? 
my shoulder's doing just fine. Um, and, uh, yeah, and she, she looked at me and said, that's a total dude move, stop it. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, that was not meant to be, I suppose, being philosophical about it. And, uh, but yeah, and I, I did buy this on, I think, Blu-ray when it came out. And so, I mean, I've probably seen this movie six times and I don't even like it that much. <laughs> but, 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 you know, rewatching it, you know, parts of this was not as bad as I thought, thought parts of it, I feel like you have uh, too much going on here. I am not a fan of movies with this long of a running time, unless you have a good reason for it, like Lord of the Rings. I was talking on someone uh, on Twitter, and I said, one of the worst side effects of Lord of the Rings, the Peter Jackson films, is that um, it, it started a trend of blockbuster movies being two and a half or three hours long, which I think is really overkill for a lot of these sort of pictures. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you can have a lot of action that's visually exciting, but it gets exhausting. Like, you need breaks for humor, and maybe I'm just getting old. I don't know. But I think, you know, there's a... You want peaks and valleys, and the valleys are as important, if not more so, than the peaks. And you want good pacing, and uh, this is quite a jumbled robot of a film. (laughs) So, let me give a a high-level summary before we get into it, after this uh, lengthy preamble we've given. So Transformers, a long, long time ago, there was a place called Cybertron. There is some um, cube, the uh, all Known as the Mogafon. Right. Cthulhu Fathagan. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> so there's something called the All-Stark that, Allspark that brings life to their home planet of Cybertron. and But it um, it's like a cube or something like that. It I, I found that explanation in the film pretty muddled, but it... Basically, you know, there's a big... Cybertron was peaceful, but then the Autobots and the Decepticons got into a war with each other. And things got nasty, and so they had to uh, escape. And the planet they happened to find, where they detected the Allspark, was was uh, was Earth. And uh, meanwhile, there's a kid called Sam Witwicky that is, who's pretty dumb, who gets his first car, and he gets involved in this mess. And there's a government and army sort of conspiracy going on. And uh, that's Transformers. Yeah, a lot of moving parts in this. And I guess that's uh. the, the thing. There's sort of an issue of time scale because j- just like in uh, the animated series and the comic book, the Transformers have been around for millions of years just out in space. And that the Allspark, w- whenever it fell to Earth, the Decepticons leader Megatron went in pursuit, apparently alone, uh, and crashed on Earth and got frozen into a glacier, which was then discovered by uh, Sam's like great grandfather in the 1800s. Uh, and only now are the rest of the Transformers catching up and getting to Earth to retrieve uh, to retrieve that the Allspark. Right, and in fact, I um, the character design. You know, I, one thing I think that's good about the animated series, and I assume the old comics, because you said their character designs are pretty similar, oh, is yes. you can look at a character, and visually it's pretty easy to read. You can tell what character that is, even though they're all kind of blocky and, and square shaped, and the transformation animations, you know, aren't, aren't the smoothest. You get the idea; they're quite identifiable. Uh, identifiable. They're different colors. Oh, that one's Jazz. Oh, that one's uh, Bumblebee. Whatever. Well, beyond, beyond that, in their robot forms, they all have little indicators that make it very clear what what they turn into. So you can see what they turn into without having to see the transformation. And you can say, oh, yeah, that that's Jazz, and that's, that's Soundwave. Great point. These um, clever little design elements. 
Yeah, when I was watching this film, I happened to watch it with the little factoid track on, which I didn't, which was sort of a waste of time. I didn't learn that much. But one interesting <laughs> part is it said um, the original toy for Optimus Prime and the Generation 1 toy line had 51 parts. And then this is sort of a, a humble brag, but I think this illustrates why these characters are not. I hate the designs of the characters in this film. Compare that with the ILM uh, computer model of Optimus Prime in this movie, which is comprised of 10,108 handmade parts. Hand-rendered, I think, is what they mean. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. I don't think there's... I mean, if they made a physical model with like ten, you know, with over 10,000 parts, that'd be pretty cool, but... Well, they, I do know that uh, they did build, like, full-sized, like, replicas of a lot of these characters that were sort of oh, stand-ins when they filmed the scenes that they then removed digitally and put in the CGI figures. Huh, I, I do, um, you know, and... Part of Michael Bay, who's the director, uh, the mandate he had for this film is he wanted it to be realistic, which I think is ridiculous when you're talking about a story about robots. And so he wanted it to be a transformation you could actually believe, where uh, the transformation didn't change the physical mass of the object. But my reaction to that is, who cares? Uh, You just want, I, I don't know, like, well, I guess I can say this. I actually think that is a noble design choice okay. to, try to make the conscious decision that when it's a robot, it has to have the same mass as a car, even if it's a different volume and a different arrangement. However, some of the things they do to to make those transformations work do like the the transformation animations are way too complicated. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Overall, right. I I do realize, overall, I like the way they look when they're in robot form for the most part, at least with the Autobots. I'm a bit underwhelmed for the Decepticons because they tried way too hard to make them look sinister. But that being said, there are too many fiddly bits. Like when, when a Transformer moves, all these extra parts on the move too that don't need to be there and don't need to do anything. Uh, and, and I find that just kind of gets, that gets distracting. And visually, the design is so busy, you're not sure what you're looking at. And um, I think especially with... Um, it, well, this goes for both the Autobots and the Decepticons, to be honest. You can't tell... I have problems really telling them apart. They don't have enough color to make them look different. I mean, yes, they have yeah. different voices, but they have so many spinning, shiny bits, as you put it, that it, it just becomes a jumbled mess. I, I like, you know, Optimus... And uh, and Bumblebee, uh, Optimus especially, look kind of like they did in the cartoon, and you can pick them out. Well, I think um, that's Mega- in part because they both have very distinctive silhouettes. Yes, um, No sure. one else has a distinctive silhouette. Everyone just looks like a blocky humanoid shape with a few odd angles. Megatron comes close to having a distinctive silhouette, though. Uh-huh. And, I, you know, Megatron has, like, kind of the sharp teeth. He, he looks okay. Um, and now, like, why have Starscream in this movie... When you don't keep the bitchy relationship between Starscream and uh, Megatron, which was one of my favorite things of the TV show. Well, that's that's an, 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 another thing. Is for for the most part, most of the character personalities are pretty much interchangeable in this film. The only Transformers yeah. with distinctive personalities are Optimus Prime and Megatron. Everyone else is just kind of a grumpy quip machine. <laughs> Although I do have to ask, what do you think about uh, the affectation, Bumblebee's affectation that his voice processor doesn't work so he can only speak in audio clips? I think that's really smart. It, 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 um, you know, Bumblebee has always been a fan favorite character. 
Uh, I'm not sure why, but maybe because he's the one that palled around with the kid on the show, whose name was Spike, uh, and in the movie it's Sam. But yeah, I think the radio clip thing, it, it gives him a bit of character, and it sort of, uh, I think it's especially funny when he plays song clips that embarrass Sam in different situations. What about you? Do you think it's a bit, they, they, they lean on it a bit too much, or... I- Actually, I can agree with that. I think they, they do lean on it a bit too much. It's kind of... There there are times when I like it and, like, times when I don't. Like, I love that bit when... so Because that, that's the big thing. Is Sam gets his first car, and his first car turns out to be Bumblebee. And there's a there's this scene where after he's discovered that his car can turn into a robot, where he's and after they've like escaped a pursuit, they're in in the middle of nowhere, and he's like he he's asking his car what what are what are you what the heck is this and like he points to the sky and they play like a brief Star Trek clip about a uh. distant planet, it's like Spock talking about a distant planet or something like that, and uh. like that. That's kind of nice. That has sort of a sense of fun and a sense of wonder to it and grounds this film in a pop culture universe. And and I got I got to say I've got to say this. I I hate it when movies exist in universes that ignore all pop culture. I wrote an article for my blog on d-infinity.net all about how I don't like it when there's a zombie movie or a zombie TV show where they refuse to use the word zombie. So I, in a way I am delighted that Bumblebee uh, uh, speaks in fragments of pop culture. That makes for me, that makes this movie so much more real, but it gets too jokey after a while. Right. Um, You know, I think while we're talking about transformers, one thing that really breaks my heart about this film is, you you have Peter Cullen voicing Optimus Prime, who voiced yeah. Optimus Prime in the cartoon. Yeah, I applaud yet, them for for getting for getting a lot of the original voice cast back for this film. That was a well, really think, cool move. I don't think it's that as much as you think, though, because um, the the real shame is. Oh, what's his name? I mind Frank Welker. Uh, yes, thank you. Frank Welker submitted auditions to play Megatron, and Michael Bay decided to not go with him and instead go with Hugo Weaving. Which which is which is a shame because it is really jarring that you have these classic nineteen eighties voice actors on one side and then you have this big name actor on the other, and it's like their voices are from two completely different universes. I as much as I like Hugo Weaving and, and his work in general, I think they should have stuck with Frank Welker for, for Megatron. I agree, and what's even stranger is the video game based on this movie at least the version for PlayStation, uh, I guess it would have been PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, had Frank Welker voicing Megatron. And so Frank Welker, for those who don't know, is a legendary voice actor who, among other things, voiced Fred on Scooby-Doo. He's in his, uh, you know, just turned 71 not too long ago. He also voices Nibbler in Futurama. He does a lot of animal sounds for shows. If you've ever heard an animal in a cartoon, you were probably listening to Frank Welker. He's one of those guys that's in so many movies, uh, both animated and live action, that you don't know is there because he's doing all the animals. Yeah, it's um, he's quite a talent. And although, I mean, I've heard his modern version of the Megatron voice because I've played some of those newer video games. And yes, I mean, they're different because as you get older, your voices change. But the spirit is still there, and it's uh, 
Man, if you could bring back the classic Optimus, why not the classic Megatron? I'll get off my soapbox. But in Hugo Weaving, <laughs> I think he's a great actor. But it it it's it process so much could have been almost anyone. And in some interview, I think on the AV Club or something, Hugo Weaving admitted playing Megatron was was just a paycheck thing for him, and he didn't have much, you know, he wasn't given much direction as to what to do, and he had no idea the context of what he was saying. Well, that that brings up something about yeah. about direction in this. Um, throughout so much of this movie, both with the Transformers dialogue and it's, it's especially glaring with the human characters, I feel like there wasn't a script. I feel like most of these scenes, Michael Bay just kind of got people together and said, hey, cut loose. So many of these scenes are just so rambling and directionless with very very weird humor that in the end don't move them don't move the plot along and i mean this movie is um in the united states it was pg-13 but uh, you know if we're going to be honest this is a supposed to be sort of like a family film franchise it probably should be right and and i'm no prude but you have jokes like the mom and dad are making about the boy jacking off in his bedroom and like what the hell leans in and goes are you masturbating Right, and like Which, you could have, I, I don't like. I just felt embarrassed. I blushed watching that in the theater, and like I, I like, oh hell, I, you know, I, I like movies like um, Basic Instinct or Nymphomaniac or whatever. I, I don't mind, you know, I quite like sex in movies, but it's like there's a time and a place, and is Transformers really the place where you pull that shit off? Like it's well, not Jackass, it's not, um, oh, it's not Deadpool. Well, uh, beyond beyond that, it's like he's he's. He he's sixteen. He has a driver's license. Clearly, they have to have had the sex talk by this point. You would like hope. that's such that's <laughs> such a weird like n- that would never happen. That would never happen. And uh, beyond that, so I, I I don't have any kids, but two very very good friends of mine, uh, they had a son who I think was six or seven when this movie came out. And, oh wow! Okay, uh, you know, so they're it's like both the perfect children age, and they watched they watched Transformers. And uh, did they take their boy to the theater? Or? Well, well, actually, they 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 didn't because a um the 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 husband uh, he he ended up seeing this film like with a friend. Just sure. because it was like a, it was like a thing where he had a half day at work and his wife was at work, the kid was at school, and they had might time. As well. Oh, let's just see a movie. Let's, let's see Transformers. And he saw it just on a whim, and he was telling me he's glad he saw it first because, like, and he was he was telling me that I'm sad. I love Transformers. My mm. wife loves Transformers. I think my son my my son loves the action figures. There's a Transformers movie out, but I don't think I can take him to it. Because I don't want to have to explain masturbation to my six-year-old. <laughs> you know, my uh, my father-in-law, Rick, um, felt the same way when he took his kids to see the Eddie Murphy Nutty Professor. Oh, yeah, that movie does get a little blue. Uh-huh, and he, you know, he loved the um, Jerry Lewis film as a kid, and he said, oh, there's a new one, I'll take my family to it, and it's... A lot, it, I think it's a pretty good, I'd love to discuss those on the show, actually, but... Um, it's a pretty good movie, but yeah, I mean, a lot of sex jokes, and I mean, there's the the line where he, he becomes the skinny version, oh, and he looks down, love, and he's yeah. Buddy Love, and he's like, I can see my dick, I can see my dick. <laughs> and then, of course, there's the, the whole stand-up comedy scene with Dave Chappelle as the shticky comedian. 
Oh, that's an extremely mean scene, but yeah, that's right. Red is going to have to make fun of your mama. That's right. Oh boy. Um, but yeah, so, tri- so yeah, the, there, yeah. It, and that's one of the one of those weird tonal shifts, and and which is kind of a shame because I, I will say this: I disagreed at the time, but looking back on this movie, I do think Shia LaBeouf is well cast. I, I yes. do like. Yeah, the, he's good. I, I do like the idea of our our quote unquote audience surrogate being kind of a goofy young man because that that's what I was at the time. Uh, well, here's it, something. It, I, I read somewhere in original version of this script, the boy was younger. Sort of like, huh. more like the age he was in the TV show. Maybe like 10 or something. 10 or 11. Do you think that would have pitched the film a bit too young? or I, that would have been... I don't know. I think the yeah. the relationship between a young man and his car is kind of a pivotal developmental relationship in America. So it I think is, they made I, I think the right choice making him yes. old enough to have a driver's license. Right, and th- that's a smart metaphor to have in the film. Um, more than that, know. I think I think that's what this movie needs, both to trim the runtime and give it more focus. It the movie should have flat out started with him getting his driver, no narration, nothing. He gets his driver's license and goes out to get his first car, and yes. then you escalate the strangeness from there. The movie is too front loaded with sci fi craziness. I think this would have been really cool if this was kind of a boy and his dog story, but instead it's a boy and his transforming robot car. Right. I also, I mean, you have this whole, you have this whole um, subplot that they're still introducing exposition where there's 90 minutes into the film, where it's about, uh, in Qatar, uh, a a group of, uh, and I'm not sure if they're army or marine uh, troops, encounter a, um, a, a transform, a Decepticon in the desert. Yeah, they're and operating that... a server in the middle of the desert, <clears throat> and this, this helico- Black Hawk helicopter lands, and it transforms into a robot, attacks the base, and, like, steals the server. And and this kind of pays off later, because they're, like, the Decepticons are searching U.S. military intelligence to try to see if, if Earth knows where the AllSpark is. Um, and this scene, this scene is actually kind of terrifying in, in a way that works, but this scene mm-hmm. also brings up one of the issues that I start to have as this movie goes on. Uh, the the time it takes for a transformer to transform is wholly inconsistent. Uh, sometimes they can <laughs> do it in the blink of an eye, uh, yeah. more than meets the eye. Sometimes, like this, it seems to take a minute and a half because it's a pornographic shot of every moving part, which is kind of right. neat. But at the same time, it's being shot at as it's transforming. It's like, what is the strategic advantage of any of this? Yeah, it draws focus to itself. So, But they spend a lot of time, especially in the beginning, in this army story. And then they go away from it. And then you get back to it with John Voight playing the Secretary of Defense. And you have these fresh uh, NSA recruits out of college doing um, intelligence. And... uh, I, I don't think this storyline is as compelling as um, the, the storyline of Shia LaBeouf getting the car and the girl and, you know, meeting the robots. Well, it's also the most stereotypical military characters in a movie ever because they're all uh, looking yeah. at their letters from home and talking about who they're getting married to or who who of the course, kid sure. was just born. It's like... Yes, it's like every World War II movie ever made. Yeah, And it's like, yeah, wow, if these guys were the sidekick, they'd all be dead. Right. In fact, it reminded me of the movie uh, Alien vs. Predator, 
there's a character that whips out a photo of his kid from his pocket, and I'm like, he's going to die. And certainly enough, he's like the first one to die. Um, oh, and yet, yeah. like with the main story, you know, you have a lot of very good um, comedians in this film that have, I think, funny scenes that look mainly improvised. You have Anthony Anderson as this uh, hacker yeah, well, guy. You've that, also got a Bernie Mac as the used The late Bernie dealer. Mac, yes. He's very is, funny. And, and he, yeah, he's great. He's great. And it, but it is just him doing shtick. It's one of those things where, sure. like, oh, hey, Bernie, yep. just cut loose. But I guess make sure that you've sold a car by the end of your rambling and it's it's it, it makes me it, looking back at this movie, it really drives home how sad I am that Bernie Mac is dead. Yeah, Bernie Mac, he had a lot of um, I, I haven't seen that many movies he was in, really, but he had a lot of zest to him. He was very funny. He was very uh, well, his career was blowing up. He had a great. That's TV right. Yeah, show. right. When he was showing he died, up in blockbuster yeah. movies like this. He was getting sp- new specials left and right. And I was watching some um, memorial special. Or something where they talked to his daughter and and uh, his wife, and they mentioned that before he decided to be a comedian, you know, he tried to support his family with with an office job. I think working for Wonder Bread or something like that, and, oh. and uh, doing administrative sort of work, and or working in the factory. And one day he just couldn't take it anymore, and went to his wife and said, "I'm going to be a stand-up comedian," and quit his job right there. And, I've been there, right? And they managed to make ends meet, but and that he went, you know. A very humbling story. He went from there to becoming a superstar, and he was in the Ocean's Eleven movies, right? The the remakes, right? Yep. The, that whole trilogy. And he died like right when he was starting to become like the. He was going to be the next Eddie Murphy, right? He could have been. He could. Well, yeah. well, the thing is, I think he could have been something else entirely. But what do you think he could have been? Well, I, well, well, I, I think he could have been as big as Eddie Murphy. I think he could have been yeah. as entrenched a part of the the Hollywood zeitgeist as Eddie Murphy. Sure, but his his tone, his career, it, it would it would have been his own. I mean, he did have a very distinct comic voice. Uh, I think I I like to fantasize that he would have avoided all the career pitfalls of Eddie Murphy. <laughs> No dumb family comedies. I would hope he could steer away from those. Basically, is what I'm what I'm what I'm saying. Certainly, and he he definitely seemed to pick pretty good <sighs> movies for the most part. It wasn't like, you know, something tragic like Richard Pryor, where you have such a talent on stage that just picks um, shit project after shit project. Uh, unfortunately, but you yeah, know, I guess the only real stinker he was in was that that Robin Williams Father's Day movie. Oh boy, or whatever the hell that, that was. Of, yep, yep, yep. Where he's the puppeteer. Um, that's right. Well, I mean, and to be fair, I don't think for the most part, I don't think people go out making a movie saying I'm going to make a bad movie. No, very, very rarely do people act actually <laughs> want to make a bad movie, unless it's like a mafia tax dodge or something. But a producers <laughs> type situation, right? Um, oh, yeah, we're getting oh, go on. but well, but bringing us back to Transformers, sure. talking about comical performances, John Turturro. He's quite good, and he's in the first three films, as I recall. Yeah, well, he's given... He he has nothing to... I hate how they use him, but he's <laughs> my beginning to end, my favorite part of this movie. Yeah, he he is a, a an NSA... Um, or is he FBI? I think he's NSA. 
actually. But, well, I guess it's like, like he he seems to be the only person who knows what kind of movie he's in. Like he knows he's only going to be saying nonsense. That's he well knows said. he's yeah. going to be asked to improvise and effectively write the movie in a moment. But he does it with such gusto and such absolute conviction that that combined with his own talents. I'm just delighted by every piece of crap he spews in this film. Right, and his character is like one of the only things I like about the military government storyline in this movie, and that you and you, you they certainly go into this more in the other films, is you link Transformers to the conspiracy theories and use Transformers as a linchpin saying all the conspiracy theories are true because Transformers. Well, that was, I mean, that was even in, in the trailers. The first trailer for this was, that was like a genius trailer, trailer. Different movie where it's yeah. like photos from the surface of Mars and these captions talking about one of our failed Martian space probes. But that's that, right. But it did send two images and like it's like a Martian landscape. And then there's like a close up of a freaky robot eye. And like, what the hell is this? This looks amazing. And then we see Transformers. I don't see that movie, right? I mean. Jeez, yeah, but oh yeah, and even so, then, like the early, a lot of the early trailers did make this look more like a thriller. Like one of the first trailers to show to show the Transformers made it look more like a horror movie, where like the Transformers never talked, and it's like objects turning <laughs> into robots and coming after people, and it's scary. Like I kind of want that. Yeah. I kind of like that. That's kind of what I wanted. I want a movie where I don't know what's a normal machine and what's a transformer. I kind of want to be weirded out and paranoid, mm. but th- th- they never let you forget what is and is not a transformer. When you when you see a machine that's going to turn out to be a transformer, oh, don't worry, you'll know within three seconds that that's what it is. Um, right, and uh, something just came to mind. When I first saw this movie in the theater, uh, this even though this movie is two and a half hours... They take too much time getting the ball rolling on the plot. Uh, it doesn't help they have so many characters and so many plots going on, but by the time all the Autobots kind of show up in the, the parking garage, uh, you have this very noble music by Steve Jablonski that I wish would have yeah, or, quoted Or even get to, get to the Allspark when they get to that, that where you find oh, geez, out that the, sure. the Hoover Dam wasn't just yep. built to provide power to Vegas. It was they. That's where that region was where the Allspark crashed, and the Hoover Dam was built as cover for the research facility that was built around the Allspark. Yeah, uh, but you get you get the moment where all the Autobots are meeting up for the first time, and they know Sam Witwicky from his eBay account or whatever, and it's a nice moment to see like all the heroes are together. But unless you've seen the cartoon. You don't have much of an idea of who these characters are. And furthermore, as you hinted at earlier, Thrasher, there's not much personality there. Mm. You can't, like, one of them, like, they're walking, talking stereotypes. Like, Optimus Prime is noble, and Bumblebee gets toxin radio voice clips. But otherwise, like, I can't really tell them apart or really care about, like, one of them... I, I, I chuckled at one of the lines where one of them was... Saying like the boys' pheromone levels, uh, levels indicate he wants to mate with the female. Yeah, that was that was Ratchet, wasn't it? Uh huh. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Who who as I recall like, in the animated in the animated series he 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 was their medic. He turned into an ambulance. He you know he put Transformers back together. He knew about oh, his yeah. biology. Okay. What right. the hell does he turn into in this movie? I have beats the shit out of me, man. I've yeah, seen this exactly. Movie six times. I, we, I don't know. We saw it and we don't remember. <laughs> And yet, like, so, I mean, you have 
some there's some really terrible lines of dialogue in this film. I think my the moment in which I I like punch the couch or groan every time is you know this extended sequence where the Transformers are trying to hide in the backyard of Sam's house and Optimus Prime breaks a flower pot and he says sorry my bad. Yeah, that's a bit too that, that's a bit too twee. Well, just beyond, beyond that. So Part of the reason that the Transformers turn into Earth vehicles is to hide, to avoid detection. Yes. And that's something that this movie, like, they, they are, seem to be purposefully bad at hiding. Like, if they want to hide, why don't they just go to the street and turn into vehicles? <laughs> right. Like, why stay in robot form or, you know, trying to do like a Tom and Jerry, I don't know, like a Charlie Chaplin routine. But, but things like that keep happening. Like there, there's this yes. like where they're they've hooked up with Optimus Prime and they're they're in pursuit by all those government vehicles. And the government vehicles drive uh, under an underpass, and like Optimus Prime's gone. Looks like they looks like they lost him. But then Optimus Prime is like clinging to the underside of <laughs> the overpass and climbs down. And it's like, well, why didn't you just turn into something? Right. Yeah, and it's... especially since it's apparently really easy for them to reformat themselves and get new vehicle modes. Speaking of that, I do uh, Bumblebee. I think they do a pretty good job with, and the scene where Bumblebee transforms into the hip new model of car is pretty fun. Yeah, it's got it's got it's got the right music and the right attitude. Although that I think is in part because it looks kind of like a car commercial, but a very well done car commercial. Well, I mean, face it, this is about a movie about, among other things, robots transforming into cars, and every car is a product placement. Yes, yes it is. And you have eBay, it gets mentioned like five million times in the dialogue. Which, Which is why Optimus Prime turns into a Mack truck and not a Peterbilt. Uh, Mack won the bidding war. (laughs) And he has flames, because, hey, flames... Which yeah, people got weird, pissed off at the time. I don't mind that as much as, but I, I am bothered by the Optimus Prime has lips. Yeah, that was a that was a strange choice because it does look like not only is it counter to the classical character design, but it just doesn't look natural because they still want him to have the the faceplate and make it retractable like like Optimus Primals in in Beast Wars. But like it's like his face loses something. It's like his mouth is sunken in. It looks very strange. I mean, part of me wonders, in the cartoon, maybe they did that just so they didn't have to animate mouths. Uh, actually, just, no, because remember in the cartoon, oh. the, his his jaw plate, his face plate would move up and down. Uh, the whole reason he had that is that was part of the original character design. Okay. Even, even makes, the action figure yeah. from Japan had that face plate. I see. Which was actually um, a pretty common design motif at the time. It's just that in the animated series and the comic book, to keep Optimus Prime distinct, they had de- they declared... Only Optimus Prime gets the faceplate. Got it. Um, we should have jumped around on this film a lot. Um, what do you think the about movie Megan? Jumps around. So skip to the as... showdown. So you know, there's that research facility with the Allspark yeah. and Optimus Prime. So this is one I think idea that I really like. That sadly, the rest of the series doesn't really do anything with. The idea that all transformer technology can itself transform, and so 
Optimus Prime transforms this you know giant football field sized cube that is the Allspark, and a pretty decent sequence transforms it down into something about the size of a of a uh, of a, a, a stereo shipping container, and. They're going to, you know, try to go away. So there's this showdown in Vegas between the Autobots and the Decepticons. Yes. Where energy from the AllSpark gets released and all sorts of, like, a, all sorts of machines start coming to life and going into a frenzy, which is a cool idea, but it's so embarrassing because it's only used for product placement. Like, the two most distinct Mountain transformations... Dew. A soda vending machine turns into a transformer and starts firing cans of Mountain Dew at people, and an Xbox transforms and starts attacking its owner. Um, and this is also when a lot of the logic of the film breaks down. So, so the All Spark, it's it's what you need to make transformers. It what it's what makes them alive. It's what turns a machine into them, and it's what they've been fighting over. And it's what this whole quest has been about. And very quickly in that fight scene, Optimus Prime just says, uh, take the, take it, and I'll take the AllSpark and press it to my chest, destroying me and the AllSpark and ending this conflict. I'm like, oh, wow, so, so you're choosing extinction, Optimus Prime. Well, that doesn't they, seem too noble. They set that up in, like, one line of dialogue earlier in the film, but and, I do want to get into, they then, do such a but, poor but job it, of, ex- okay, go It on. doesn't. It doesn't happen because right. in the end he does push it to his chest. It does destroy the AllSpark, but he's fine. He suffers no consequence for that whatsoever. Not just that. I mean, the first we neglected to mention the first shot of this movie is this terrible scene uh, of Optimus Prime being very serious, talking about Cybertron, and you see a cube in space. It doesn't really explain what it is. The movie doesn't get back to the uh, AllSpark until much later in the film in the Hoover Dam, like you mentioned. At that point, you already watched 90 minutes of the movie, at least. And, it, yeah, you don't get a good idea of, like, what the quest is. And the AllSpark is the MacGuffin. Okay, that's fine. And the AllSpark was a, a big thing in the Transformers 80s cartoon movie. Fine. But they need to have more of a reason... They should have done a better job of setting up what the AllSpark was so we gave a damn at the end. And in the theater, uh, I laughed my ass off when Optimus Prime was screaming at Sam to stick it in his chest because it always stuck me as somewhat sexual. <laughs> yeah, because um, I guess, I guess, I think, I feel, I feel like the, the, the AllSpark shouldn't have, because that's the other bit of plot convenience, is that it turns out that the American government knew about Megatron, and so they carved Megatron out of the ice and had him in storage in the same facility as the AllSpark since, like, at least the 40s, which it seems like that's a wasted opportunity that he just sits there this whole time. But I really I really feel like what, what, the, what the mission should have been, it should have been the Decepticons coming to Earth to try to get their leader back because they're in disarray, and the Autobots trying to stop them from retrieving Megatron. Because hmm. then you could at least give the Autobots kind of a code of honor that, like, the Autobots banished Megatron to prehistoric Earth uh, because their code of honor, they can't just execute somebody. And, th- like, that would have created some interesting tension. You know? Yeah, it would have. I mean, I it's such a shame that also the Decepticons are given the real short shrift in the movie. And in the 
in the cartoon, and I imagine it was this way in the original comics as well, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Thrasher, but every robot had a personality. Everyone had a character trait. They had relationships with each other. Yeah, I mean, even if even they might the have most, been somewhat simple. Even the most tossed off Transformer, they, they gave them at least one overriding character trait. Right. Uh, as I recall, um, Bageltron had a love for sesame bagels. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? What did, okay, what did Bageltron turn into? <laughs> a piece of toast, ironically. I was trying to make a joke and it failed, mm. so... Yeah. Uh, um, I, I, know, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Michael Bay, I, I think, was a good choice for the... A good director for this material, because he knows how to make things explode really good. He lights things uh, beautifully. Well, look, he, we, um, even the action scenes are pretty good until the camera moves around too much. Which is a Michael Bay staple. He <laughs> loves the 360 slow motion shot of people staring up at nothing in particular, saying nothing of consequence. Like, I, I do think if you took the dialogue out of this film and made like a little five minute music video, you'd have a pretty good piece. And Michael Bay got to start in music videos, as so many directors do. Um, so, so one of the producers of this is Steven Spielberg, who is a big fan of the old cartoon and the toys. Does anything strike you as Spielbergian in this picture? Um, I suppose only some of the early stuff with uh, mm. Sam and Bumblebee, because there there are echoes of ET in that. Yes, and uh, there, there's one gag in here that I references almost shot for shot, a gag in Steven Spielberg's uh, The Lost World, the second Jurassic Park film. And it is the Autobots are starting to, you know, in their meteor forms or whatever the hell, they're crashing into Earth, and one of them crashes into a swimming pool, and a little girl wakes up with her My Little Pony toy, which is also a Hasbro property, yeah. goes to the backyard of the swimming pool and sees, you know, the robot pop out, and she has some stupid tweak line. And you have a very similar scene to that in Spielberg's uh, The Lost World where um, the dinosaurs are getting loose in the city and there's sort of like a Godzilla scene in a, in a swimming pool. Oh, yeah. So that that struck me as a little bit Spielbergian. But, um, uh, and, you know, we've talked all about this film. We have not talked about Megan Fox, who is well, a big part uh, of the it's picture. It's a nothing character. She, she has nothing to do other than stand around, look hot, and be be the focus of uh, Shia LaBeouf's affections. Do you find it amusing that she's a car expert and like rattles off all this car knowledge? I I don't find it amusing, <laughs> but that that should be that's that's a good character trait that should pay off, right? Like I like think you, like, yeah. that that you know what I would have done if I if I had been doing punch okay. up on this I yep. would have I would have made her being a car expert a bigger part of the movie to the point where she can tell what's a real vehicle and what's a transformer because she notices the details that the transformers miss because she knows so much about cars or maybe she fixes a transformer when it's broken because of her car knowledge that that could that could work right too, yeah yeah. Um... And then the the ending of this movie is so stupid, and near and I believe all of these Transformers movies end the same way, where Optimus Prime has an idiotic monologue, which doesn't mean anything, as he stares off into the distance, and we'll keep on protecting Earth. Blah blah blah. Yeah, and we get we get the the Decepticons get dumped into the bottom, dumped to the bottom of the ocean, which I which the more I think about that, the more I'm like, well, is that gonna work? 
We have no reason to believe they can't, like, swim or walk back to shore. They, they, there's a line of dialogue saying it's, you know, has the highest gravitational force on the Earth at the bottom of the... What would be the highest the, pressure because of all the water? Or pressure. But it's like, but these, these Transformers have already shown to have well beyond superhuman uh, strength and resilience. Like, if they had strutting up jets or something, they could boost out of there. Like, why not just launch them into space back where they belong? Or, or melt I, them down, or take them apart oh, melt, and get amazing Melt them down, of course, them. of course. You do the Terminator 2 treatment. Yeah. Well, I like well, that. This, and this monologue does have a pretty cool shot of Starscream, like, flying out of the Earth's atmosphere, which I thought was pretty cool. Like, I like that we... I like that we're seeing a Transformers version of a machine do something that the real machine shouldn't be able to do. Um, and so... So when this came out, I was working at a uh, at a retailer and a re-retailer uh, with a name that rhymes with skibbity scabbity scame skibbity scabbity scop, and there was a customer who talked my ear off about this closing scene. I'm sure working at that place, you had no lack of customers that talked your ear off about things you didn't care to hear about. Yeah, well, but it was just like a thing because because <laughs> they, you know, the sequel had been announced, and he was praising uh, this scene for setting up the sequel by showing by showing Starscream leaving Earth and going into space. Like, I mean, I do why think that's in here. It's in here because it looks cool. That is the, what is first and foremost on Michael Bay's mind. <laughs> Also, you but don't what's need crazy to set up is that scene. Well, in that scene, there's dialogue that's unintelligible. I listened to it five times. I think he says "bumblebee," but Starscream does. Yes. Oh and yeah, there is like a chatter. Right, but like um, the way the the Transformers talk in the film, it's sometimes hard to understand. But especially when I saw this in the theater, the bass was cranked up so far mm. I couldn't make out like eighty percent of the Transformers dialogue. Yeah, I can see how that could be a problem. Did you have a problem watching it at home with that, or no? No, although that's because I'm peculiar about my audio settings, so I try to adjust things so that that doesn't happen. So what are your audio settings of choice, and what speaker... When you're watching a movie for a sequel cast, what's your TV setup? Why don't... Let's talk about that. Well, what are the... Like, the the ideal... The ideal yes, setup sure. for, for me, and with, with the, the supplies I have available, uh, is to have a stereo output... Uh, and and essentially, I just I just I don't I don't mess with subwoofers. Uh, I I like outside of a concert, I don't feel that subwoofers add that much to the audio experience. So I typically, if I use that at all, it's going to be toned way the heck down. Mm. What speaker setup do you have? Is it the speakers and the TV? They uh, uh, de- depends where where I'm watching. Sometimes yes, sometimes I have actual external speakers. I, I have a, a sound bar I've been using for um, seven years now. Oh, is it good? And yeah, it's a Sony sound bar. I think at the time it cost like two hundred something bucks, but the subwoofer is quite powerful. So much so that we have a um, as as a gift. Uh, my wife Havana has a a friend cross stitched uh, a picture of um, Jean Luc Picard on there. Cool. And uh, yeah, pretty neat piece. And we have it uh, in a in a frame sort of set up on top of the subwoofer for some reason because we're running out of space. And it also and, transforms and, into a little robot called Feedback. That's right. And uh, and once Feedback hit my Corgi Spock, and you don't want to know what happened, but let's say it was a, <laughs> a brown stream of horror. Um, so 
whenever we watch a movie like Transformers, I mean, I happened to watch Transformers on my computer because she was watching RuPaul's Drag Race on the TV or something. But um, if I'm watching an action movie and it's really active in the subwoofer, I can tell because that Picard painting gets knocked down immediately from the vibrations. <laughs> so that's how you know you're watching a good action picture. Um, yeah, so that, I mean, so this movie Transformers, it's okay. I wish it, I wish, uh, and maybe a fan edit of this exists, but like if you did this movie cutting out like all the government stuff, all the army stuff, and maybe kept the John Turturro stuff in, like you could cut an hour out of this film, even 30 minutes out of this film, and I think it would be a much better movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can I can agree with that. I wouldn't mind seeing that. So, you know, strangely enough, I've, we've talked about a lot of things. The thing in this movie that's, that sticks in my crawl the most is Sam's email address, which is sexylover315, which first, it should be sexylover420. That's funnier. Uh, yes. But, but second... Is 315 a reference to anything, or is it just arbitrary? I, I don't think so, because, like, John... It's because 316 is, is the Bible verse, Mm. So three fifteen, I don't know, but the thing that really bothers me about that—I mean, really bothers me about that—that's a mid nineties email joke. That yeah, has no true. business in a late two thousands <laughs> movie. I, I will say though, watching this film, um, so this came out in two thousand seven, which means they probably filmed it in two thousand six or two thousand five, and the iPhone. The point is, like, no one has smartphones in this film. It's all flip phones. Yeah. Because the that iPhone, the, the first iPhone the didn't, the first iPhone came out when this movie just was in theaters. Um, hard to believe it's only been 10 years, but, yeah. So, it it really goes to show how much technology has changed in 10 years. Now, you don't, you don't have joke about fax machines or that sort of a thing, but everyone has their flip phones with a really tiny video screen, and yes, it can record video technically, but it doesn't look very good. <clears throat> and um, I don't think you have AOL instant messenger jokes in here. Like, there's Strangely more they could enough. have done to date it. But um, I, do, I do think, as even though it is product placement, eBay is pretty shrewd. Because when you're making a movie, you don't know what will exist, like, ten, five years, ten years from now. And eBay is still um, doing well, as far as I know. But you have well, a lot of other... it's pretty entrenched in, in where it is yes. in the marketplace. and. Right, I mean eBay and Amazon, you know, both got started around the same time, and they're both quite, um, uh, yeah, they've they've been very entrenched, as you put it. So, um, uh, another bit of trivia: one of the members uh, in the army is, or it could be the Marines, sorry, uh, is Zach Ward, who played the bully in A Christmas Story. Huh. Yeah. But he has like. Little, if any, dialogue, and unless you know what he looks like, you wouldn't be able to pick him out. But I would say since A Christmas Story, perhaps his most uh, mainstream appearance was in Uwe Boll's Postal. Hmm. Which is a poor uh, movie. And I guess he had a part on Titus, the show on Fox. I, I had no idea that he was in this film. Unless you're looking for him, you wouldn't know it's him. He doesn't really look the same. Um, but I will say, as he's gotten older, he doesn't look as much of an asshole as he did in that Christmas story movie. 
So, um, one thing that's kind of interesting is uh, there, Hasbro was trying to do a G.I. Joe film before Transformers, but Transformers happened to get made first. And, then we, and we did eventually get two G.I. Joe movies. I, I know yes, it's been we did. talked about, uh, and there is one in some level of development, but I am shocked that we haven't seen a Transformers G.I. Joe crossover movie at this point. Um, you, you mentioned the, uh, you tried to watch some of the original Generation 1 Transformers cartoon and didn't like it that much. Did you yeah, find it, it too slow up. paced or the animation was too poor or what was um, it? The animation, <clears throat> the animation's pretty typical for the time. The, it's the animation yeah. wasn't the problem. I mean, it really, it really was the writing. It just, everything was just very, very flat. There didn't seem to be any stakes. The humor was, was, was flaccid. You have good voice actors in there though. Well, yeah, I mean the performances are, are 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 spot on, but it's just it's just not a overall it's just not a good show. It really does read like a toy commercial, which regrettably is all that show was. I will how do you how, think... I will however defend yeah. the animated Transformers movie. That sure. movie is amazing. What do you think? Uh, how do you think Transformers holds up? What are what's another cartoon from that era that holds up better? GI oh. Joe. God, or uh, G.I. Joe. Well, you, you know what? <laughs> G, I, I am going to say yes to G.I. Joe, but okay. only because it was more pop culture aware and writers like Robert Ford and J. Michael Straczynski, they did try to ground that. Sh- as crazy it was, they did try to ground that show in a certain reality and they do have a handful of great episodes where they sneak so much stuff in under the radar. I don't think He-Man holds up very well. I tried oh, watching it's awful. that. That's terrible. I loved that one as a kid. Loved it. Um, but yeah, and... like the, you can see. I would say seek out seek out the uh, the Transformers episodes where the writers are sneaking stuff in under the radar. Uh, one of the best examples. I'm not. I might not have the title right, but I think it's called The Viper. It's the one where where uh, one of the Joes moves into a condo, and they start getting these <laughs> these terrifying phone calls from the mysterious Viper, and they end up traveling the world trying to like solve the mystery of these phone calls. And it's just like it's all building up to just a great terrible joke, and yet they're sneaking so much stuff in under the radar. Uh, particularly, uh, I think it's. I, I, again, I might have the name wrong, but one of the Transformers is a fire suppression specialist called Burnout. He's gay. Wow. He he, he is that's, homosexual, that's... and they're doing everything they can to indicate that he's homosexual and that he has this condo because it's in a neighborhood where he can live his life. Two questions. One, does he have a mustache? Yes, he does. Okay. Two? Does he um, have a fixation on uh, lollipops? No, but I'm, I'm not sure where you're coming at with that. Well, sometimes in, um, especially in like 1930s, like pre-code movies, they would slip that into a character to, to say that they were homosexual. Oh no, no, there was nothing. There was nothing like I, that. I see. They would try to do, um, have him do some business that sort of hinted at it, or it, it's say, kind of oh, oh, oh I'm a confirmed bachelor, or whatever. Like all the all the dialogue has double meanings that point in that direction. That's, that's... It's quite astute. Um, I would say also, as far as cartoons from that era, uh, Ninja Turtles I, I I find enjoyable. 
Although, yes, there's a lot of bad episodes of that as well. Well, there's enough hipness and self-awareness in the Ninja Turtles that that, that does help that show. Yeah, but I think, you know, the cartoons really get better with things like Batman the Animated Series. Like, in the early 90s, I think the, the quality oh, yeah. goes way up. And, uh, I mean, the whole Paul Dini stuff, right? The Superman one, Justice League, all that stuff is pretty good. Yes. The, the X-Men cartoon, I thought, was decent. And you're strangely enough... Thundercats holds up. Really? Okay. Like, I keep on forgetting about that It's just one. goofy and silly enough, and it 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 takes its own premise so wonderfully seriously of that if, if you can get past the fact that nothing is ever at stake because no one can ever get hurt or die, it's still a pretty entertaining show. And taking this back to Transformers, and we'll wrap up our thoughts on the film and go on to the other segments... Um, Transformers, the cartoon, does have an excellent theme song. No, it's an amazing theme song. It's better than G.I. Joe. It's better than... Maybe not as good as the Wheeled Warriors or the Raccoons, um, but <laughs> quite a good theme song. Which, oh, actually, if I, if I can, um, if I can uh, say something about, about Thundercats, because this... This just just uh, happened. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I think two weeks ago, as of this recording, uh, Earl Hyman, the voice of Panthro, passed away. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm. And he has he has an amazing career. He has an amazing voice. Uh, he also, you know, he appeared on a number of uh, a number of sitcoms in the eighties and nineties as well. Did a lot of Broadway stage work. There's an awesome documentary about the surrealist art movement that he narrates, and the voice okay, he uses, yeah. like. Pan the Panthro voice isn't that far off from his own voice, which is the same <laughs> voice he used in the documentary. And I remember watching right. that documentary in uh, my senior year of high school as part of an art class and just being delighted. Oh, oh, Panthro's narrating this documentary. Yeah, I've, uh, I was watching something on TV where William Shatner is narrating the documentary, and he's done quite a lot of uh, document documentary uh, narrating on like environmental uh, things. And um, his narration voice is, like, quite serious and quite good to the point where, like, you know, William Shatner has the goods when he wants to. Oh, yeah. But he frequently um, makes the choice to make things more comedic, especially in the later phase of his career. And uh, <laughs> he's still working, man. Good for him. Like, So, um, what do you recommend Transformers from 2007? <sighs> I'm going to give it a sequel no, but understand that I've had a great time talking about this film with you. Okay. It's a it's the lightest sequel no I have ever given. Only because mm. when it comes down to it, when this movie came out, there was already another Transformers movie that was already available on DVD. Yes. That I just find more entertaining, uh, more true to the concept. Uh, sure. And with better music, uh, with all the original <laughs> voice cast... It's just yeah. shorter and funner, uh, and yet between the two, I would pick the animated one every time. Shorter and funner, that describes my penis. Um, Transformers. Da, 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 boy. Um, Sock it to me? Sock it to everyone. So, um, yeah, Transformers 2007. I say sequel, yes. This is, huh. uh, for me, <laughs> I could be wrong as I rewatch these films, but I feel this is as good as the series gets, unfortunately. You and, may but, be right. You may be right. Yeah, I may be crazy, but it just may be the lunatic you're looking for. Uh, but Transformers. Bottle of red. Bottle of white. <laughs> I could do Why should I day. worry? 
Why should I care? <laughs> <laughs> you you have uh, oh, I was gonna quote Pressure, but I don't know the lyrics to that one. That's my favorite <laughs> Billy Joel song. Uh, Transformers, yeah, you know it it does have its bloat. It has its problems. I think you cut thirty minutes and make a much better picture. But it um, Bumblebee is good. Optimus is good, and. Uh, the the stuff with Shia LaBeouf and the boy in his car and the girl and all that stuff and and is good and uh, his his father I think is pretty entertaining the mother is annoying there's enough here to recommend this is this my favorite movie of all time no if I'm if I want to watch an action movie will I put on this movie no but <laughs> if if um a I don't know let's say my one of my nephews or something was of age and wanted to watch something, I might throw this on the TV and not feel too bad for it, <laughs> despite the masturbation joke, because this isn't this isn't complete crap. This is partial crap. But there's enough cream in here to recommend it. So it's like it, it, it could be compost, is what you're saying. So some good could come out of it. Yes. After, if you give it time and love, some yeah something might come out of it. It could be a good tree. It, it could, <laughs> if the tree grows at all, I guess. Um, pitch a sequel. Thrasher, what did you have in mind? Pitch, okay, so I I want to, uh, I want to uh, pitch a prequel. So my, my thought is it. I want to take advantage of the fact that Transformers, as they've alluded to, have been on this planet for, for a while, at least since the 1800s. So I want to do a prequel that's set in the 1980s around the same time that the animated series would have been uh, at its height. And it would all be about Sam's father because it'll turn out that Sam's father uh, had a connection with the Transformers. And he, oh, in, okay. he intentionally, he got like a secret message from, from let's say Optimus Prime. Um, so he intentionally brought his son to that used car dealership run by Bernie Mac because he knew a Transformer would be there. And he knew that he was going to have to hook his son up with the Transformer so they could have their own, let's say, transformative uh, youthful adventure. So this is about his father's youthful, youthful adventure in the 80s. And it's much more of a romp. It's much more comical. It plays around with a lot of 80s action movie uh, cliches. Um, it's going to be it's going to be more lighthearted. Uh, it's going to be much more PG rather than PG-13. And the MacGuffin... The, the the MacGuffin's going to be a lot more a lot more straightforward, and what they're what they're looking for uh, is that it turns is that essentially they're looking for this widget, they're looking for this this missing part, and that missing part is like the the heart of the arc, the Transformers spaceship from the animated series, which we don't see in this movie. But the reason why we don't see in this movie is because Sam's father finds it in the 80s, becomes friends with the Transformers. He helps them get the part. At the climax of the movie, they wire the part back into the arc. And you think it's because they want to go back into space, and that's part of it. But when they put the heart back in the arc, the arc transforms into a giant robot, uh, defeats ah. all the Decepticons, then transforms back into a ship and leaves Earth with everybody. And, you know, hmm. Optimus Prime, you know, we're going, but, you know, we, we might, we, you know, we might return. You'll always be our friend. Not narration. It'll be actual dialogue spoken to a character. Cool. And in that one, Bumblebee will straight up turn into a Volkswagen. We're going to keep that. Nice. And I'll also, like, they'll still be CGI. They'll still look kind of high tech, but... 
their designs will be somewhat simplified and to to more closely echo the animated series designs. Got it. Good idea. Um, my pitch sequel would be. Let's see. Would be. Um, it would it would take place after this one, and it would be it would have. Um, Maybe it take place ten years after this one. So Sam would be out of college. He'd be at his first job. He'd um, he'd be a car salesman because he loves cars, and it would be a good cover for him to do his relationship with the Transformers. He'd be a car salesman for a major corporation to have lots of product placements. And what he would do is uh, go around, and um, he gets this brand new model that comes in that he's trying to sell, and he's never seen it before, and he thinks it might be a Transformer. Hmm. And he has the Autobots, you know, check out this model. They can't figure out what it is. It's a bit of a mystery. And as it turns out, it is a uh, an ancient, rare breed of Transformer that's sort of like one of the, the, the prototypes from Cybertron. Huh. And it is far... Um, far stronger than than any anyone ever seen before and um starscream uh you know captures it somehow and megatron fuses with it and this is how megatron <coughs> gets his gun for him hmm. instead of turning into i think an airplane or something like he does in the movie yeah that was an uninspired choice isn't it like I know, like the idea of like a a gun floating around shooting things might look ridiculous, but it was cool at the same time. I don't well, know, it was like a really is, strong there's, gun. There's the thing is there's there's already a precedent in the comics uh, and in some of the animated spinoffs that Megatron can turn into a tank. So why not just make him a badass tank? Oh yeah, yeah, right. That's a good point. Uh, but anyway, in my version of the sequel. This this you know secret proto transformer would fuse with Megatron and turn into a gun, but it also makes him uh, makes Megatron highly uh, unpredictable and, and messes with his his circuits, and so he starts killing other Decepticons. He starts killing things randomly. So the Autobots and the Decepticons have to work together to take out this um, you know infected version of Megatron, huh. and it and it ends with them killing Megatron and the Decepticons and an Optimus kind of says to the Decepticons, you know, oh, we actually worked well together. Maybe we can stop this fighting we've had for generations. And, uh, and they end on, on sort of a truce, mm-hmm. but then the, the, the stinger at the end would be a plot twist that, you know, some, let's say it's ratchet for argument's sake, maybe ratchet <coughs> talks to Optimus Says like, oh, that was a tough mission, but we got through. I'm glad I have you as a commander, something like that. And then as he walks away, we see Ratchet is actually just uh, a Decepticon in disguise. Mm. Where they've programmed him to go rogue, and now they have a, a spy within the Autobot ranks, and that's how it would end. And it, it would be called Transformers Part 2. I guess I guess I would have called mine trans, Transformers eighty just just for the hell of it or Transformers. I, I like that radical yeah. conversion. <laughs> radical conversion, <laughs> not bad. Yeah, cool. Um, so I got a question uh, for you. What you watching? 
Well, uh, there, there were two movies that I wanted to talk about, uh, but okay. I'm going to save that for our next episode because we're running a bit long. So sure. uh, I'm going to talk about it. Um, well, the thing I'm going to talk about, so my wife and I, we, we, we binge watched while working on some projects uh, a number of uh, CGI family movies, and uh, we saw Boss oh, Baby. Oh, dear. Boss Baby, okay. Yeah. I, I've heard some mixed things about that movie. It's, it's not great, but it's good. It's 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 one of those it's one of those things for for a non for a non Pixar CGI movie uh, it's 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 pretty decent uh, yes it is a little too reliant on pop culture references uh, a little bit too a little bit too cutesy poo um, you you uh, you can see where corner where corners are cut but Alec Baldwin's performance uh, is fantastic. Also, uh, Ralph Bakshi's grandson plays uh, plays the older brother in this film. Voices, yeah, he, uh, yeah. Well, he voices the character, huh? And it, he's actually pretty good. I hope I hope he continues doing voice work and animation. Uh, I I think okay. That, that he's yeah. part. He's part. Of the, part of a legacy i suppose now absolutely but it's it he he does a very he does a very good job uh, i was i was really impressed uh, it should be mentioned that boss baby was done um by uh, dreamworks animation and uh their last film was uh trolls but they also recently came out with the first uh captain underpants the first epic movie oh yeah it, it is a dreamworks but yeah, I mean, I guess it's one of those things. Like, it's it's pretty entertaining if you just want some some nice, gentle entertainment. It's a good thing to put on. Uh, the um, oh gosh, the I guess I guess that's the thing. Is like, no, there's really nothing bad about this about this movie. It's just like it doesn't it doesn't hit any real real height. Um, but the perform the performances are great. This movie was a, a a great success. Their work has already started on a sequel off a budget of 125 million, which is pretty cheap for a CG film. Um, it has made about 500 million. So um, my question is: uh, you mentioned it's uh, has a lot of pop culture gags. Is there a scene where babies dance to a piece of pop music? You know, uh, not exactly. However, um, the Alec Baldwin's character, the Boss Baby, when he shows up at at his parents' house for the first time, he like struts up to he struts up to the front door, kind of break dancing to this very kind of funky music. I don't know if that there's no I don't recall any lyrics to the music, so I don't know if that's if that's a real song or just something that they wrote for the score of the film. But you do you do get all your dancing baby shenanigans in that scene. How is uh, Jimmy Kimmel and Lisa Kudrow as the mother and father? Uh, Jimmy Kimmel kind of vanishes into the role. Lisa Kudrow does a great job as the mom, but is also it's also clearly Lisa Kudrow. You cannot mistake her performance. And Steve Buscemi does a great job as the villain. He needs to play more villains in animation. And maybe one more protagonist. He was a villain in Monsters Inc., was he not? Uh yes, yes, he was the 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 chameleon monster. Yep. Um, I saw a clip of Boss Baby someone posted on Twitter, and I don't know if it's out of context, but it's the Boss Baby telling another baby to suck the pacifier. Oh no! That actually, he's telling his older brother that there's. Oh, a, okay. There's a there's a bit where. 
there's a there's a there's a they build a lot of mythology around around the the way babies work in this film because the the premise is that part of the premise is that babies are a a product that are just flat out they're not born they're sent to people's homes it's just that no one like remem- no one remembers this because the baby's memories go away of of being produced in this factory in the sky but there, there's a bit where it turns out pacifiers let the babies communicate with the factory, and so there's a scene where to explain some stuff to his older brother, uh, the boss baby gets him to suck a pacifier, and they astral project back into the factory. I just found it amusing hearing Alec Baldwin as a baby telling another character to suck it repeatedly in a children's film. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure somewhere someone has edited together scenes from this movie to make it l- l- sync up with his Glen Gary, Glen Ross uh, uh, <laughs> businessman rant. I do recall in a trailer it had the line, coffee is for closers, which is a, a takeoff on one of his uh, oh, no, it's, lines. Uh, they, the line they use is cookies are for closers. Cookies is for closers. Okay. Although they don't really explain what closing means. <laughs> well, it sounds like it has a, uh, your explanation of the plot is far more complicated than I was assuming from the marketing. It, it is, it is. Although it's probably best they kept that out. I guess, I guess what I'm going to say is like it's 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 decent family entertainment. It's like it's I was going to say it's it's not great, but it's very good. So um, I, I will talk about a, a, a children's cartoon I saw as well, and then also about a little project I've been working on related to movies. Um, cool. Recently, uh, well, basically, I'm moving. Uh, we're moving at the end of the month to live in with my in-laws to save uh, some money, and we'll also be living with my soon-to-be five-year-old um, nephew, Tobin. And um, also, so, this is the guy who wrote the Spirit Guide. Yes, the very one and same, of the Ghostbusters reboot fame. And uh, anywho, he, you know, we were over there, and he wanted to watch a, a kids' movie on Netflix or something, and we put on Minions. And um, I've seen Despicable Me 1 and 2. I thought 2 was okay, 1 I wasn't crazy about. And uh, Minions is, you know, the spinoff movie. And it starts out okay. It has, you know, shows Minions throughout different historical periods and how they're all kind of stupid, but they they all end up getting their master killed. Um, not on purpose, but sort of by accident and a slapsticky. And I'm like, this is okay, this isn't bad. And then it starts to have a plot. And it was just... Uh, I realize it's a cartoon, and I'm not the audience for it, but it was too juvenile for me. Hmm. And it was like someone was do. I would rather have, like, root canal surgery than watch Minions again. It, it's nothing but, like, stupid slapstick, and they steal robots or whatever that fight in a in a town, and they're knocking stuff over, and it's just, like, a lot of noise for no good reason. Um, yeah, I was not, not pleased after the beginning of the movie, which is somewhat interesting, but it, it does tie in with Despicable Me near the end in a cute way. But, um, have you ever seen any of those pictures? I've seen, a lo- uh, I have seen Despicable Me and Despicable Me 2. Right. I'm actually curious to see Despicable Me 3, if nothing else, because Trey Parker voices the villain in that. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, that, that seems sort of fun. Um, but I think... It, it goes to show, you know, giving a, a sidekick a movie doesn't always work. It's like if you had a TV show just about Kramer, like, that would get old really quick. Well, I, feel, <laughs> you have like, these... I feel like what they yeah. probably should have done, since the Minions became so iconic, don't give them their own movie, just put Minion shorts at the beginning of all your other movies. 
I mean, yeah, that would be the idea. I mean, yeah, that would be the ideal vehicle for it. Or even they're, make it like... They're much better in do, small doses, I find. Yeah, if you're going to do a Minions feature, make it like Tales from the Crypt or something, right? Make it... Not like their head's <laughs> getting ripped off, but uh, make it like a bunch of shorts with some wraparound story. And, I mean, I think that's why I like the beginning of Minions so much, is that's what you get, is you get these little short films of, oh, Minions in Caveman time, or Minions in Egyptian times. And uh, I thought that was sort of winning. Um... The other Which thing, is, yeah. I always figured like Gru created them in a lab or something. Uh, nope. Or if they said that in one of the films, they retconned it. But yeah, they've they've always been in there, um, responsible for mishaps throughout history. So there you go. Do not recommend minions. Um, and then because I'm moving, I'm unable to take my, you know, frankly, it's getting a bit too massive. My uh, DVD and Blu-ray collection. So, it's going to be in storage, and I can get to it later, but I've started the process of archiving them and setting up a home Plex Media server. Cool. Which, what that means is I can, on my own private network, I can sort of watch my stuff like Netflix. But it, it's um, the process of ripping a DVD, and especially a Blu-ray, and then converting it to a format where it takes up less space. Um, and it could just be the laptop I'm doing it on is not powerful enough to do it quickly. It's taking much, much longer than I anticipated. Um, mm. So it, it'll likely be at least a six-month project before it's completed. But the good thing is, when you're ripping the files and so forth, you can go do other things. You don't have to be sitting there watching the computer. But I have friends that have used Plex, and they like it quite a lot. And it's pretty easy to set up, <coughs> although mine just stopped working, so... Yay for hobbies that eat up time. Um, <laughs> all right, so next week we'll be talking about Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, the second film in the series from 2009. And um, as a sneak peek, you know, beyond that, when we're done talking about these three Transformers films, we are going to look at a series of films about... Uh, we're going to go up, up, and away, and faster than a locomotive. Well, more powerful than a locomotive. Thank you. More powerful in the locomotive. We'll be talking about the Chris Reeves Superman films and Superman Returns after we're done looking at these uh, three Transformers pictures. I am am really looking forward to that, but I'm going to save my gushing for when we get to those movies. That's right. They're actually kind of tricky to find. Have you been able to find them? Actually... No, that is only because I haven't had time to look. Uh, I know there is a there is a box set that you can sometimes still find online that came out that I think has that has all the different cuts of the first two films. There is, yeah. Um, I, that's I the sold one my copy, it. regrettably, but that's a good that's a very good set. Good documentaries on it too. Um, we're a bit inside baseball here, but um, yeah. So subscribe to Sequel Cast too uh, on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform. You can also listen to it on the Podbean app or with the Stitcher app. Listen to it streaming that way. And um, follow the show on Twitter at SequelCast2. We also have a Facebook page. Just search SequelCast2. And um, you can follow me on Twitter at MATWBT. You can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. Also, if you want to uh, support independently produced gaming content, go to DriveThroughRPG.com. Uh, my latest collaboration with Clint Staples is out. 100 Oddities for a Sewer. Uh, we both wrote it. Uh, I illustrated it. Uh, it is it is very very fun. Uh, definitely check out uh, check it out. I think it's normally one ninety nine for the PDF. I think when this comes out, it's going to be part of a holiday sale for a ninety nine cents. 
So you're saying don't buy it now, wait for the sale? Well, by the time this is out, <laughs> it, it should be part of the sale. So I, I see now. what you mean. Yep, gotcha. Buy it now, regardless of when or where you're listening to this DVD. <laughs> or this and, podcast. Uh, Although this yes. could end up on a DVD. They're going to reissue this movie at some point. Why not include this show? Why not? Sure, you can say, add it, an extra two hours of bonus content. You just, just let us wet our beaks a little, and it's all good. My beak is practically parched. Um, yeah, I, I've been writing, I guess I'll do a quick plug. I've been doing some pieces for uh, Hardcore Gaming 101 lately. Cool. And um, I got a piece coming out I can't talk about, but I, I wrote um, a review of a indie, or not a review, I wrote a feature on um, uh, an indie computer game called Beat Cop. That is is sort of like a it's like a police simulation. Is it kind of like Police Quest? It's more of a job sim than Police Quest, but it has sort of puzzles in there, kind of like Police Quest. So Police Quest is an inspiration, but it's almost I would say it's Police Quest meets Papers, Please. Hmm. Um, But if if you look up Beat Cop and and see gameplay footage, you can sort of get an idea of what it is. Also, um, did a piece for them. That's coming out in an upcoming book called... Let me look this up because I'm an idiot. Pre-search failure? <laughs> Pre-search failure would be a lovely name for a book. <laughs> but this is... No, it's not this one. Um, I'm trying to find what the hell this thing is called. Da, 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 da. Anyway, I have a piece for Hardcore Gaming 101 that's going to be in their upcoming book, Japanese Video Game Obscurities. Oh, cool. And so it's the first time I've been in a published physical book, and I'm very excited about that. Welcome to the club, man. That's awesome. Yeah. um, And the game is, um, I don't recall the Japanese title, but it's Battle of Olympus, a Nintendo game that looks like Zelda 2, but you're um, fighting Greek gods and so forth. Oh, I've heard of that. It's extremely hard, very difficult, but um, quite good. Very good music, too. And it was just made by a husband and wife team in the early 80s. And it even got a Game Boy port for Europe only, but that's beside the point. Right, so, um, four sequel cast, two, I met. And I'm Thrasher. Same. Autobots, transform and roll out. Sequelcast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com.